Well, we continue our sermon series looking at the seven words that Jesus spoke from the cross. Today we're looking at Jesus saying, I thirst. So we're in John chapter 19. I want to read starting in about verse 16, get a little bit of the context, and then I'll jump to the I thirst passage. So the end of verse 16 in John 19. So they took Jesus. And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. But Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Now verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Here ends the reading of God's word. I thirst, Jesus says from the cross. Certainly not the most dramatic, I think, of the sayings from the cross. In fact, as I started to prepare this sermon, I was a little worried that I wasn't going to have much to say, that I would just get up here and say, well, Jesus was thirsty, so he said, I thirst, and that would be kind of the end of it. But as we take a look at this text, Jesus is being very intentional in his language, and John is being very intentional in Um, the way he describes this so that there are a lot of themes a lot of symbols actually surrounding this phrase I thirst to begin to understand this we have to understand that as Americans we really have no idea what it means to thirst we've all been thirsty right we've all needed a drink but we've always had a tap you know we've always been able to get a bottle of water somewhere We're not thirsty for very long. But in the desert, in Jesus' day, where there's no running water, where there's not advanced water systems, you can't just go buy a bottle of water, they understood what thirst was. They really could get thirsty. In fact, when Moses brings the Israelites into the wilderness and out of Egypt, the complaint of the Israelites is that they would die of thirst. You've never been close to dying of thirst. But in their reality... Dying of thirst was a distinct possibility. You had to plan your world around your water. Jesus must have been terribly thirsty in this moment. A thirst we've never experienced. He's had such blood loss. He's now in the sun, suffocating on a cross. He's got to be terribly thirsty. There's an important theological note, I think, to be made here. And that is that Jesus is thirsty. We, Jesus is, therefore, human. 
Okay? He's not some kind of spirit or some kind of whole, some part God, part man. He's fully human and he's feeling thirst and he's feeling the struggle and he's feeling the pain of the cross. And now he says he's thirsty and he's given a drink of what's called sour wine. Sour wine is a cheap wine, also known as wine vinegar. Had probably a pretty bitter taste. Pastor Adam Hamilton compares it to balsamic vinegar. Okay, you can imagine balsamic vinegar. You might like a little bit on your salad, but would you want to drink a glass of it? Probably not. It would have been thick and sour and not real good. The only the only thing this drink is good for is getting drunk or really quenching a bad thirst. John tells us that Jesus is prompted by two things to speak about his thirst. And neither one is actually that he's thirsty, although I'm sure he's thirsty. First, he sees that the end is near. His work is almost finished. He did not take a drink that anyone... um, He didn't take a drink earlier in this process. There's a point at which he's on his way to the cross and they offer him a drink that we think is a drink that would deaden his his senses that would make him uh, kind of go to sleep on the cross and, and not feel the pain of the cross. He doesn't take that drink. But now, at the end, in his final moments, he looks and he takes his drink. John also tells us that this thirst fulfills a scripture. Part of the interesting question is what scripture is John actually talking about? There seems to be two psalms that would fit this story. And perhaps both are intended. The first one makes sense, and it's John twenty-two fifteen. Jesus has actually already quoted this psalm. The psalm begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In verse 14, it says this, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like pots herd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. The psalmist here talks about his life being poured out. And imagine this kind of thirst. That his strength is dried up like pots herd. It's it's kind of like dried out clay that you could crack and it would be all dusty. His tongue sticks to his jaw. This really is Jesus in this moment. But perhaps... Psalm 69 even fits this moment better. Psalm 69, 19, it says, You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine. To drink. This psalm actually refers to this idea of sour wine. The psalmist is speaking on behalf of Israel, talking about the, the, the cruelty of others, the abuse of others, and the abuse of Israel, saying that, that when I'm hungry and when I'm thirsty, they don't give me anything that's of value, anything that would really be good. They, they give me poison, they give me this sour drink. This is definitely Jesus in the moment, struggling, feeling the pain, the weight of this cross. And the only relief he gets is this sour wine. These psalms are examples of a larger biblical theme. 
In a culture where water is so important, water becomes an important image. Okay, if you had to plan your whole life around water, around making sure you had access to water, water would be this amazing image, this amazing uh, theme of, of, I am desperate for water. I must plan around water. In the Bible, water is a symbol of the things of God. The human beings are totally dependent on God, the giver of life. God controls the waters. He uses storms. He uses floods. And Jesus can calm storms. Because of this symbolism for water, thirst also becomes a symbol. That thirst is our desperation for God. How many of you are familiar with Psalm 42? As the deer pants for streams of water, so pants my soul for you, O God. Verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? In the Bible, thirst represents our need of God, our need of this living water. And in a culture where you had to plan around water, you had to make sure you always had access to water, it's this great image of our need. Jeremiah uses this theme in a little different way. In Jeremiah 2, God is described as giving little, living water, but the people try to quench their own thirst. It says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that hold no water. Think about this image. God says, I am the, I'm the living water. I can sustain you. I can give you everything you need. Everything you thirst for, I can give you. But, but you all pick wrong things. You try to find your own way to find your thirst quenched. You build cisterns. You build these kind of containers to trap and to keep water. But they're leaky. They never do what they need to. John in his gospel makes particular use of this imagery of water and thirst. In John 4, Jesus meets a woman at the well. And he's thirsty. He asks for her, her for a drink and begins a conversation with her. Let me pick up in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Then the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus tells this woman at the well, I've got water that will make sure you are never thirsty again. And of course, this woman says, yeah, give me some of that water. That way I don't have to go to this well and I don't have to continue to draw water from it. Later in John 7, Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. 
Now on the cross, the one who offers living water is thirsty. Jesus is the source of water that will make it so you will never be thirsty again. And yet here he is on the cross, thirsty himself. John says that the man offered Jesus a drink from a sponge. And John also says that they put it, and this is a detail that only John gives us, that the branch they use is called a hyssop branch. Okay, hyssop branch is a short kind of bushy plant. It would not be a very good plant actually to, uh, to try to hand somebody water. Uh, kind of a wet sponge would probably bend that. It's just a little bushy plant. And yet John tells us that they use this branch. Pastor Adam Hamilton says that maybe John does not understand botany very well, but he really understands theology. See, the hyssop branch goes back in the Old Testament to the Passover. The Passover celebration, everybody remember the story? As the Israelites are going to go out of Egypt, the angel of death is going to pass over all of the homes. And the homes that have the blood of the lamb around the doorpost, um, those are the... Those are the homes that the, the angel of death will pass over and will not kill the firstborn child. In fact, Jesus, when he, when he celebrates the sacrament of communion, he's celebrating the Passover. And when he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, he's talking about that blood of the Passover represented in that cup of wine. What's interesting is that in, in the story, that blood is spread with a hyssop branch. That's the kind of branch that the Israelites were supposed to dip into that blood and then move, put around the doorposts so that the angel of death would pass over. In fact, that hyssop branch became such a symbol from that that it was used in Jewish rituals, particularly of cleansing and of purification. So there were many times where the priest would have to purify someone who'd been sick or purify a people, a group of people as part of a ritual. And they would do that with a hyssop branch. They would dip it in water, and then they would sprinkle with that hyssop branch the people uh, as a symbol of purification, hearkening back to the hyssop branch of the Passover. And now, Jesus receives this drink from a hyssop branch. See, Jesus isn't just saying, I'm thirst. He doesn't just say, yeah, I'm thirsty right now. When Jesus says those two little words, <coughs> when Jesus says those two little words, he is weaving together his whole ministry, his whole mission on the cross. And John is giving us some clues to try to help us see some of that symbolism. Jesus is the one who became flesh so that he could be thirsty. He, and he felt the thirst of the cross so that he could fulfill all of our thirst. <clears throat> Jesus dies the death that we deserve. And now at the end, he knows that it's accomplished. He fulfills the scripture. In doing so, he steps into this great imagery of water and of thirst. He is the source of living water that is now thirsty on our behalf. And his thirst quenches our thirst. He is the blood of the Lamb that causes eternal death to pass us over. He is the one who gives us purification and cleansing. Now you and I may not have been close to dying of literal thirst, but haven't we all felt figurative thirst? What are you thirsty for in your life? What areas of your life do you feel parched? 
Are you trying to find love, to have success, to be accepted, to find security? We all thirst. We all have these inner longings that we try to pursue in our lives. And yet we are often really bad at picking where we try to fulfill those thirsts. We try to force love. We try to find our security and our acceptance through others. We try to work hard to get a better job and more money. We turn to lust. We turn to drink. We distract ourselves with hobbies. All the time there's this deep thirst that we have that seems to not be quenched on any of those things. Have you ever experienced that? I think some of those things can maybe quench our thirst for a little while, really temporarily. But do they ever really satisfy in such a way that Jesus would say that thirst never comes back? We dig our own cisterns. We try to find our own way of getting our thirst quenched. But all those things do not quench our thirst. The world cannot quench the deep thirst of our soul. Only Jesus can. When you thirst, Jesus knows what that is like. He's been through it. And he went through it to offer you living water. He gets painfully thirsty so that he can offer you water that will make you never thirst again. What do you thirst for? Where are you parched in your own life? This thirsty one on a cross is the one who can give you true satisfaction. And who else in your world is thirsty? Who else in your world do you see that they're trying to fulfill their thirst? And they keep trying in different places and they keep trying in different areas. And you know, because you've been around them for years, that it's not going to satisfy. Lent and Easter is a great time to invite those people to church. To share with them what your faith means. To show them what this living water can do for their thirst. Lent reminds us that we are meant to thirst after righteousness. May you find your soul thirsts quenched in this time as Easter approaches. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would quench our thirsts. Forgive us when we try to look to the world to quench the things of our lives. Thank you that you offer us living water. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.